0: Hi, and welcome to the River of Life Assembly of God podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our prayer is that today's message will impact your life in a positive way. We believe there is power in the Word of God. So open your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. Amen, but uh, so good to see the house of God filled tonight on, on tonight. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. We're not going to do an offering, uh, a traditional offering tonight. However, we are in a building program, as you can see. So if you would like to give, there are ways that you can give electronically or in the app. Empty There are empty envelopes in front of you. You can grab one, fill one out. On your way out tonight, there's two donation boxes. You can just put your offering in there. If you can't be with us Sunday, you want to give your tithes tonight. That's what tonight is all about. If you're visiting with us for the first time tonight, welcome. Um, Good to have you with us tonight. And uh, so good to have you with us in Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to move right into this and then we're going to take communion here in just a few minutes. But tonight we remember Sunday we celebrate. I said tonight we remember Sunday we celebrate. And I just want to encourage you, if you're going through a Friday, just hold on. Because a Sunday's coming. There's a third day coming. The Bible says, on the third day, he rose from the dead. You can do a word study in the Bible on the third day, and it is all through the Bible. Third day is just something about the third day. We'll me preaching on that today. But tonight, I do want us to remember... I'm going to use Isaiah 53 as a guide to help reflect on our night tonight. If you want to go with me, you can. I'm going to kind of be all over the place in Isaiah 53. uh, But I just want this tonight to be a night of remembrance. One of Israel's biggest problems, the children of Israel, is when they got into the promised land and when times were good, they forgot where they came from. They forgot the God that delivered them. And let's not be too hard on them, because they have the same human nature as we do. God, knowing that, he instituted the Lord's Supper, and he said, and the night he was being betrayed, and the night he gave his life, he said, I'm going to institute this Lord's Supper, and I want you to do this in remembrance of me, because I know you're going to forget things. And so that's why we do it as a church once a month, but that's what tonight is really all about. And I really just want to, want to just drill down on that tonight. ...on what he did for us. And Isaiah 53 is a beautiful chapter. It was, it's called one of the greatest uh, messianic prophecies in all of the Bible. Isaiah writes from 700 years before Christ came. He's predicting the suffering that Jesus would endure on this night. 700 years before he even came. And that's what this chapter is all about. It's about the suffering of Jesus Christ... Uh, This is a very good chapter that we use to tell our our Jewish friends that are still waiting on the Messiah. This is a good chapter to show them and to prove that our Messiah has already come. In fact, many Jews have been converted to Christianity because of the accuracy of of this chapter. But in Isaiah 53, as we get into this tonight, as we prepare our hearts for communion and go on with the rest of the weekend, I want us to, like I said, really think about tonight... And the suffering that he did. And also Isaiah includes at the very end as to why he did it. Why it's called Good Friday. You know, when I was a little kid and I heard about Good Friday, I remember asking, man, what is Good Friday? And, and they told me it's the night Jesus died. And just like every other kid, I was like, what's so good about that? And, then, and as I heard about the suffering of Jesus, I'm thinking, these are the sickest people that come to church. I've, I, what is wrong with these people? They call this good. But it was later in life when I found out and learned that he did all of that for you and for me. And even though his death was bad, the purpose of his death was good. And that's why we celebrate and we call it, of course, Good Friday. Isaiah mentions the betrayal. And I want to go in order of the night rather than the order of the chapter. He be, and I want to talk about that, the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Let's remember that tonight. It would be actually last night when he was with his disciples and he's sitting there preparing the last meal and Judas shows up and Judas comes in there and here's the thing about Judas, he already knew in his mind and in his heart that he was going to betray Jesus. Jesus already knew he was going to betray him, but I want you to see how Jesus handled himself that night. Jesus, knowing his betrayer was sitting at the same table with him, he still chose to feed him. He still chose to to be uh, focused in on his message. Don't you think that hurt him? In fact, Psalms 22, it tells us, David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is how Jesus felt, and he says in Psalms 22, he says, If it was a stranger or an enemy that betrayed me, I could have bore it. But this was a friend of mine, yes, even a brother, who we even went to the house of God together. We worshiped together. We did church together. We did life together. And he's the one that turned his back on me. He's the one that betrayed me. And with all of that weight on Jesus, look at what Jesus did that night. He washed their feet. I wonder if he washed Judas' feet. It don't say when Judas exited, was it before or after he washed the feet. But here's the point. We've all been betrayed. We've all had that close friend, relative, or somebody. Let me tell you something. The, the closer you get with the Lord, the, the more God begins to raise you up, begin to realize that bullseye begins to get bigger on your back too, friends. And, and, and have you found that out? David's, you know, David said, I, people hate me for no reason without a cause. As God blesses us and as God raises us up, I mean, that just comes with the territory. But uh, we've all felt that pain of being betrayed, and Jesus had that. The humanity side of Jesus felt that pain that night, lumping his throat and looking over at him. But still, he didn't let the pain of betrayal stop him from serving. He didn't let the pain of betrayal stop him from his mission. Can I encourage you here tonight, guys? We're going to get betrayed. People are going to do things that we never thought would do. People that are in our closest circle, and you may be going through this already in your life. Betrayal is part of it. Don't let that deter you from your mission, from your focus, from your assignment. You are still beloved children of God. He still has a plan and a purpose for your life. You can raise above it. You can rise above it. That's what this is all about. These same people, he was not only betrayed by Judas, he was also betrayed by the people who he performed miracles with. He came riding in on the donkey, as I shared last Sunday, and a week later, the very same people who were giving palms and giving praise to him, then yelled, crucify him. These are people that were healed by him. I just never can get past that. People that received their dead back to life, blinded eyes were opened, lepers were cleansed. They were the ones that turned on him so fast. Why? Because as long as Jesus did what they wanted, they praised him and applauded him. But when he did what they needed, they yelled, crucify him. When he did what they wanted him to do, Messiah, they praised him. But when he did what they needed him to do, Savior, they yelled, crucify him. Can I encourage us tonight? Let's not just give praise when God is doing the things that we want him to do. Let us be a people that gives him praise, even when he's doing things that we don't like. But we know he needs it. We know we need it. That's what betrayal is all about. And what's interesting about Isaiah 53 is he doesn't mention Judas, but he does mention betrayal. And it's in verse 6, and guess what? You're all, and me included, are in that verse. He does mention betrayal. He says Jesus will be betrayed, but look how he says it. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Did you know you're in the Bible? Notice the writer includes himself, we. We all have gone astray we each have went our own way and he has laid upon him the affliction which is in the hebrew which means the betrayal of all of us caused our betrayal to land on him isaiah says that that all the betrayal that we have ever experienced and even in our, in our backslidings and our wishy-washiness up and down, Jesus took that upon the cross. Isaiah writes it and says, this is part of the betrayal. God took it out on his own son. Put it that way. The betrayal upon his own son. But Isaiah didn't stop there with the betrayal because the night continued after Jesus was betrayed. I never, that, the way Judas came in that night i just been going. I was talking with um, some of our guys that went to Israel with us. And, and I said, man, I, was, I don't know about you, but I was looking over our pictures from being in Israel today. And they go, like, oh, man, we did that too. And by the way, I can't wait to go again because I wish everybody would go. you got to go over there. But I'm just reflecting on those pictures. And we walked right into the garden of Gethsemane where Judas walked in. We, we were there. We saw it. And this is where Judas came in, and he told uh, Caiaphas and his servants that, The one that I kiss is the one that you want to arrest because the Jewish people would wear their hoods up and you couldn't tell which one it was at night. And so Judas walked in at night and he walked up to Jesus and Jesus already knew what was happening. He turned around, he looked at him and he said, Judas, are you going to betray the son of God with a kiss tonight? Are you going to do this with a kiss? And man, I just, man, what a night. Judas looked at him and kissed him anyway. They came And they arrested Jesus. I want you to see the humanity side of Jesus in this tonight. Because there's sometimes a disconnect when it comes to us and our relationship with God. But the whole reason why Jesus came in the flesh was Hebrews tells us. So we can be reminded that we don't have a high priest that doesn't know how to suffer the same things that we have suffered. So he knows how it is to be betrayed and he's paid the price for our betrayal. Then we all know what happened later on that night. He goes to Caiaphas's house. He's the Jewish law. Before he goes to the Roman law. These are the Jews that... Wanted to arrest him because he violated their law. He really didn't violate any Roman law. This is why Pilate and Herod had such a conflict of interest because they were like, "This is a Jewish thing. It's a religious thing. You guys handle them." But the Jewish people, they could have a law. They had prisons. They could beat you. They can flog you. But they did not have the power or authority to kill you. They needed Rome's authority to do that. So that's why Caiaphas later says that we have no Jew. We have no God. Uh, other we have no king other than Caesar. And that whole thing happened. But this was the first uh, courtroom Jesus went in was the Jewish courtroom. And he went in there that night, and they had people that falsely accused him and lied on him and said he was blasphemous. And Jesus sat there and just took it. And then they had their way with him. They mocked him that night, and they put a purple robe on him. They blindfolded him, and they smacked him in the face. And they said, Who was it that hit you, Jesus? If you're the Messiah, tell us, and surely you know. And the Bible says they spit on him. And they just mocked them all night long. I remember being down in that cell because they had the house of Caiaphas over there. That was one of the most moving nights of the entire week was when we got to the house of Caiaphas. That's also the place where Peter denied him for the third time. And you can tell when you're over there, you can see how that was very possible. Jesus was on what they called the porch, and he was... Tied behind his back, his hands were behind his back, and they were mocking him, and the rooster was crowing, and down below were the servants warming themselves by the fire, and it's an eye distance. And the third time when Peter denied the Lord, the rooster crowed, and the Bible says they locked eyes. We stopped there that night, and we had our devotion. We went down into that jail cell, and it was just uh, very small, and they know, I believe that's the one, everyone believes that that's the one that they put Jesus in because it was so small. And confined, but that was nothing compared to what he was facing the next morning, which would be this morning. This morning he was taken bright and early to Pilate's porch in his front of his palace there. And he was told and convinced Pilate after going to Herod and back to Pilate that he in fact is is deserving of death. And Pilate's wife had the dream and, and all of this is happening. And Pilate still was conflicted and he said, I don't want to crucify this man, let's just flog him. But Isaiah writes here in, uh, in verse 3 that he was despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And it says we hid our face, as it were, uh, from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. In the previous chapter in verse 14 it says many were astonished at you. His appearance was marred more than any other human. And his form was more, marred more than the sons of men. That's just a mental picture of what he looked like. I was going to show these pictures, but I realized there was children here tonight. I mean, it's just, it doesn't do us justice. Even the movie Passion of the Christ, which is one of the most accurate, in my opinion, of how it really looked. What they whipped him with was a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that had these nine or ten leather cords, and at the end of them were pieces of, of bone and pieces of steel, and they would... They would hit you in the back of them, and they would stick into your back, and they would rip it right out of your flesh. And they would give you, Jewish law gave up to, the law said you can't give no more than 40. So they would give you 40 minus 1, as they called it, 39. They went right to the very limit, and I know Jesus got every 39 of those. They flogged him, and they whipped him. Then they brought him out in front of the people while standing there, and then they gave the people an opportunity to release Barabbas or release Jesus. They had no idea that they were actually fulfilling prophecy. And where it says he. And so they said they'd give them Barabbas, and they decided to crucify Jesus. Jesus then carries his cross. The cross is about 300 pounds, but it's believed that he only would have to carry the cross beam, which was... I don't want to say only 100 pounds, but it was 100 pounds. And he walked for 650 yards up the Vela de la Rosa, which means way of suffering. I heard on the radio today, speaking of Israel, they said it was more populated today than it has been. It's got record attendance. I can only imagine how that is, guys, because it was like unbelievably when we went packed and it's the streets are filled uh, in Jerusalem to this day. They got it all blocked off. There was a group there from Germany and they were praying, crosses everywhere. Uh, I think that's awesome. I said, I think that's awesome. I don't care what religious belief in the Christianity umbrella they are, man, this is a night for everyone to remember. And I think it's awesome that Jesus gets this much attention on tonight and on this weekend. I think it's awesome. Amen? Yeah. But Isaiah said that he was unrecognizable. In fact, after they beat him, they said they hid their face from him. This picture that, what Jesus did for us, guys. As he's walking down there carrying the cross, they turned their head from him. They turned their eyes. They couldn't stand looking at him. He, he was just so repulsive to look at. They, be, they beat him more than any other man. They said that. He's exhausted after bleeding out like that. They, it's very easy to understand him suffering so much uh, blood loss. That he went into hypoverblemic shock, when, that's which caused severe dehydration. This is why when he was on the cross, he said he thirsted. And they gave him, they offered him, Matthew tells us they offered him wine twice. One was, was uh, wine mixed with gall, which was a, a narcotic. And it was intoxicating wine. And they offered it to him to numb the pain, to get him out of his senses. But your Bible says Jesus refused that. Secondly, they offered him sour wine, which was just to quench his thirst because he was bleeding out. He did take that. They drove seven inch nails into his hand, whether it was his hand or his wrist. Does it matter? At this point, I want you to remember that Jesus hasn't eaten nothing since the day before at the Passover meal. He went into the garden. He's up all night praying. He, the Bible says he prayed as, th- as though it was great drops of blood, which is also a medical condition where your sweat can become blood. It's fatal. He was under so much pressure and stress. I'm just trying to get us tonight to, 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 to kind of remember what tonight's all about. And then his best friend betrays him that night. They come and arrest him. And he did all of this willingly, guys. Remember, Peter had a hard time and he whips out his sword and he hits Melchis, Caiaphas' servant, and cuts off his ear. That's Peter, gotta love him. And Jesus instantly picked up the ear, touched him, and healed him. It's amazing. History Channel just released their uh, story of Jesus this year and it was written by Joel Osteen. And and so I kind of checked it out and it was, in my opinion, one of the best I've ever seen. They had some of the things weren't totally accurate, but when they were accurate, they were accurate. And this scene was phenomenal in the garden. That's exactly how I believe it happened. It's exactly how Scripture says it happens, how it happened on that night. They take him, and he's tired, and he takes his cross, and he walks up that 650-yard walk, and he's doing it willingly. Back in the garden, though, that's what I wanted to say is, Jesus said to Peter, put away your sword. And he looked at him and he said, don't you know if I wanted to, I can call for my father and he will dispatch 12 legions of angels to fill this garden. One legion is 6,000 angels. That's 72,000 angels. Jesus said, if I really wanted to end tonight, I would end it. 72 angels, according to statistics in the Bible, with one angel killing 30,000 people would be enough angels to wipe out the known civilization on planet Earth. Jesus was saying, that's just in case you think I don't got this. Just in case you don't know that my father and I have a plan. Can I tell you that God has a plan? Can I tell you God has a plan? Even in your suffering, even in our suffering. All things work together for the good. I want you to be reminded, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how grim, them disciples didn't see on the other side of Jesus. And I know there were some angels in heaven because the Bible says in Ephesians that they did not even know the full plan. They didn't even know the full story. I believe Michael was right on the edge of the cloud saying, Come on, God, just just move your finger. If I Did I see your finger move? Just move your finger because they are hitting your son. They are hitting our beloved, our lamb, our lion of Judah. They're hitting him. Look what they're doing. Enough is enough. Let me go down there and wipe them out. I want to remind us tonight? God said, "It's not what it's about. It's bigger than you. It's bigger how you. It's bigger than how you feel. It's bigger than how it looks." I got a plan. I got a plan. The execution was a crucifixion, which we know, which was adopted by the Persians first. Don't know exactly where it originated, but it was definitely in the ancient world. And the Romans took it, and they took it to another whole level. Some, the Persians would hang you up on the cross where to keep from the dogs and animals coming and having their way with the deceased. But the Jews had to have the body down before nightfall. So the Jewish crucifixions was actually just about this far off the ground. Jesus' feet, historically, according to Jewish tradition, was only about this far off the feet. In fact, you may even be able to get eye to eye with Jesus. This is why it says that many mocked him and, and were making fun of him. They were looking at him, and they were able to hear as Jesus is on that cross Almost eye to eye with them in total pain and agonizing over everything that's happening. In order, what people die from in crucifixion is really not just the pain. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's the bleeding out, but it's usually asphyxiation. It's where the lungs begin to lock into place because the arms are extended and the lungs fill with liquid and they have a heart failure. And that's exactly why what they predict Jesus died from, being 33 and a half years old, very strong, very healthy, walked everywhere he went. So we know how healthy he was. He was a carpenter, which also can mean uh, someone who worked with iron. He was a very fit man. But the human body can only take so much. And I believe that Jesus had it all orchestrated for him to be that low because he wanted everyone to hear loud and clear his last words, which were this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. And he pushed up just to say that, laid back down, pushed up again, said, I'm thirsty." thirsty, laid back down, pushed back up. And this goes into our next one, which in my opinion is the worst of the night. Isaiah predicts that he would be abandoned by God his Father in verse 4. We know this happened because Matthew records that one of those times where Jesus was able to just muster up a little bit of strength by stepping up. And normally you could just push up your feet by that little block, but Jesus' feet was pierced. We know that because Scripture says it. So in all the pain and agonizing, his back rubbing against the back of the cross that was ripped open by the cat-of-nine-tails, and he would just get enough strength to raise up. This was one of the last things that he said, and he just yelled out and said the word in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which simply means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' life, that is when his father did turn his back on his only son. You see, he had the sins of the world on him. God is a holy God. He cannot be where there is sin. You cannot, even when the righteous dead, when they die, were able to go into the presence of God. That's why the whole paradise thing was there. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, he looked over and said to the thief, he said, tonight you're going to be with me in paradise. And Jesus went down into paradise, but he wasn't alone. He had that old thief with him. He, I said he had that old thief with him. And that thief probably didn't know anything about theology, didn't know about anything. But all he knew was, man, this is cool, man. I wish I had my phone tonight because I'd be taking me some pictures. But your Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus had to make an extra trip before he went to heaven. That was to go down in the paradise and to say to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Samson, I don't know how you got in, Samson, but you did. But I'm here to take you back up into the presence of a holy God, and you're going to do it with my blood. You're going to do it with my blood. Ain't no blood of the lamb was good enough for you. Ain't no blood of the, any animal, a bull or anything was good enough, but my blood is good enough. And you don't need no ticket. I'm your ticket with you. And they marched right in. He who descended had to first, then ascended into the presence of God. Come on, somebody. But at that moment on the cross, because God is so holy and Jesus was so Spiritually just repulsive because he had the sins of the world on him. We don't know how he did it But the bible says according to jesus god turned his back On his son. Why did he do that? He did that So you and I could never and don't ever ever have to be abandoned by god What is the worst thing you think it's the pain of the cross and the suffering and being betrayed Let me tell you what the worst pain in eternity is going to be. We know it as hell It's called Sheol, hades Jesus called it hell. You know what hell is? It's not just darkness. It's not fire. It's all of that. All of those are a part of it. What makes hell so bad? It is the absolute absence of the presence of God. That, no fear, no love. Or Excuse me, all fear. No hope, no love, no faith, nothing. And Jesus at that very moment did that for you and for me. For whosoever will just believe in him. All you got to do is believe in him. I wish I was on the network television. I look into that camera to everyone and looking at me. I said, listen, you don't have to be a theologian. I don't quit telling me you're Catholic and you're Methodist and you're assembly of God and you're the- Do you know Jesus Christ? Is He the Lord and Savior of all you gotta do is say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Yes to come into my life. I believe and I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. That's it. That's it. Scientists even say that there was a total eclipse because the Bible does say that there was total darkness over the land. Many have tried proving the Bible wrong. You know that? Every time they do, they just prove how right it is. Seriously. I was listening to Lee Strobel today. He was an atheist, very educated man. He was an an atheist and he went to agnostic. He went back to straight up stone cold atheism. And he had the challenge to uh, prove that Jesus was not true. And he was one of those guys that did that. He went right into the historical documents. And just read the nine uh, major proofs, non-biblical proofs of Jesus Christ and all of this stuff. And it happened. He ended up being converting his life to Jesus Christ. He's one of the greatest preachers now in the academic world. He goes to colleges. And he just speaks and does lectures on how good and how real Jesus is. Don't you just love it? Amen. But scientists say that there was an eclipse that took place, a total eclipse somewhere AD 31 to 33. What was that? That was God. I could have saved you all that by reading Matthew. (laughs) Finally, as we get into the last last one, Isaiah tells us about the betrayal. He tells us about the abandonment of God. And he sums up what tonight is all about and why he did it. In verse 5, surely he took up our pain and he carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. For our iniquities Remember that song? My mama can sing that song man The chastising for our peace Was upon him And by his stripes We are healed Thanks for listening We trust that God has spoken to you Through today's message If you would like to know more about our church Or if you would like to help support the ministry Please go to www.rol-ag.org River of Life Assembly of God, a church of His presence, His promises, and all people.